Opening bracha for the open Haftara Kitete. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Bakard Bimvi'im Tovim Ve'ratza ve'divrehem ha'ne'emarim be'emet Baruch Adonai HaBoker Batorah Uv Moshe Avdo Uv Yisrael Amo Uvin Vie Haemet Vazedek. Biskut Mashiach Yeshua. Amen. Amen. All right. So apparently, uh, this is a really short Haftarah. At least that was the word on the street. So I'm not sure what's up with that. Well, that, that would be true. Um, it's rather short compared to the others. Um, However, half tour for Kisetse, um, Tete, um, is not the only half tour that's read in this case. Because if you remember a while back, we had uh, Rosh Chodesh that fell on a Shabbat. And so instead of the half tour we read for Parsha, half tour Re'e, we replaced it with the, the, the Shabbos Rosh Chodesh reading. And so what's going to come at the end of our half Torah for. Kisete, uh, Kisete is going to be the half tour for um, Re'e that we missed. Oh, okay. So we still we it might be short, but we actually get a get a double portion, oh, if you will. A double half portion. Get you some. But I think it's the the first time we had a, a double half a portion, if I'm not mistaken. I believe it is. Shall we say the Shekianu? Go ahead, lead us for it. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Shehekianu Vekimanu Vehigianu Lazman HaZeh Amen. Baruch Shemo. Wow. Like, this is the first? Like, okay. So, I mean, I, I just think it's interesting because we, we got through all this idea of doubles, like comfort, comfort my people, and uh, anohi, anohi. Now, we're at, we're at the, the half tours that doesn't necessarily start with like a, a double, but um, it's doubled in that there's two half tours that we get to read. So. Oh, man, that's legit. You know, like... <laughs> I just keep finding myself like so excited about every week we get to do the Haftarah because, you know, I haven't really been able to go in depth, you know, because I haven't had much knowledge on like all the Haftarah stuff. But, you know, since we've started this, you know, it's just been like one cool thing after another. So like this is exciting. Definitely, I mean, it's definitely been a just a privilege for 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 me as well, just to kind of look into this and, and discuss it with you and and share gleanings. Oh man, you know. So, well, shall we begin by mentioning a little bit about Yeshayahu? Ken, Ken, Ken. All right. So let us begin with this. All right. <laughs> okay, so. All the not that you, you could see what I'm looking at right here, but <laughs> it says all that Ezekiel saw in the Machava vision, vision of like the, the divine chariot, which Ezekiel describes in much greater detail than Yeshiah. Yeshiah also saw, but Ezekiel may be likened to a villager who saw the king, whereas Isaiah, Yeshiah, may be likened to a city dweller who saw and was accustomed to seeing the king. Say what? Yeah, so it, 
So he was accustomed, as it was like it was accustomed to seeing the king. So a villager and a city dweller is the relationship they they um, compare to each other. All right. Wow. Okay. Uh, another one, another fun fact about him says they there are five courts of justice in Gehenna, all of which were seen by Yeshia, son of Amoz, the prophet, through divine inspiration. So I just thought that was interesting. The so, five courts, there's five courts of justice within a Gehenna. Yeah, so I was about to say Gehenna has courts. I mean, imagine what that must be like. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. That's 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 something something to. Look into in the future. <laughs> Keep that on tab. Yeah, I don't okay. know if I really want to go into that, but you know. Uh, don't, let's not open a tab for this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, because he was an inhabitant of the capital city of Jerusalem, he spoke to Israel reproachfully. Okay. Because he was King Amaziah's nephew, he spoke to Israel reproachfully. Mesquita Devav Kahana, fourteen twenty six. So this is uh, quite different from Yirmiyahu, who basically spoke to Israel like like a priest who discovered his mother was a Sota. Yes. So they had completely different approaches based on um, from what it, what we mentioned here. I guess that's just background, their upbringing. You know, Isaiah, Yeshia. He was of this royal line, and you go to Yermaihu, and he is, you know, he talks to him, like, what can I do? I'm but a child, Man. you know, and just their, their approach and their upbringing was, like, completely different. Wow. And like so this. you have the idea of the, the like, the, the servant, the servant who's unexpected with Yermaihu, who who's at the time of the destruction, mm-hmm. and you have the idea of Yeshia, Yeshiyahu, who is of this royal lineage, of, who's very well known, and who speaks these words of comfort and restoration. Wow. And so you have this side, these, these two pictures, and I think we mentioned this before, but of, of Meship and Yosef and Jeremiah, Jeremiah and Meship and David and Isaiah, as far as that goes. Wow. <laughs> the idea of God who saw them through the destruction of the Bay of Mikdash, Jeremiah. And the one who is seen to the rebuilding of that Behemikdash, or prophesying about that anyways, would be Yeshiyahu. And it, it's correct that Yeshiyahu prophesied before Yermiyahu, right? Yes, yes. So the end, before the, uh, the end, before the beginning kind of thing? Yes, the end before the beginning, which is what his name entails, because we discussed it before, that he's the same gematria as Aleph Tav. Yeah. The first and last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Wow. <laughs> so Man. that that whole thing is probably elucidation within itself. Right. Um, okay. Got what uh, another effect? Yes. Or were you planning uh, to do like just like three or four or did you have a Yeah. I'll I'll do uh do one more. It says Isaiah called Jerusalem a mountain. As it is written, the mount of Hashem's house shall be established, Isaiah 2.2. 2. All right. So you refer to Jerusalem as a mountain. So not a city, or a city on a hill, basically. A city on a hill. Oh, yes. <laughs> Definitely. Wow. Okay. Right. There was uh, something I read in the Humash, or something I was shown in the Humash, because, you know, we got, 
we got other Avengers that be getting violent and crazy. But it was um, talking about during the episode of the false prophets who go through the cities and how the whole city, if they fall astray and listen to the words of this false prophet, how you're to, you know, take out justice on them and the whole city is to be destroyed and all that. Well, says Yerushalayim is the exception to the rule. If a false prophet breaks out in Yerushalayim, and even if the whole city of Yerushalayim goes after that false prophet, and there's nobody there who is a seeker of truth, basically, then Yerushalayim is exempt from being destroyed. Because it's not a city that was meant to be inhabited. So, any residential things that take place in Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, they're basically on the outskirts. They're not like literally in Yerushalayim. The only house of Yerushalayim is the Beit HaMikdash, which is Hashem's house, which is a dwelling place for many peoples, for all people. Wow. So I thought that That's was... That's interesting. Yeah. So I thought it was absolutely crazy because it's just like, wait, so we don't really live in Yerushalayim, but we live in Yerushalayim. So, you're saying the only house in Jerusalem is the Beit HaMikdash, where Hashem dwells. Yeah. And Yeshia <laughs> refers to Jerusalem as a mountain. And so, obviously, it stands out above the rest. So, you could almost say it was a great, Jerusalem is a great mountain. Like yep. one of the names of, of Mashiach. Get you some. Like it mentions him being like a great mountain. Uh-huh. So, we have the idea of Mashiach being the house of Hashem where his presence dwells. Oh my goodness. All, all will come to him who are of, you know, heavy, heavy burden. Many people. Wow, that's incredible. I was thinking about the, the whole idea of how Hashem is so indiscriminate. Like, anybody is welcome in his house. Well, except uh, Ammon and Moab because they kind of put themselves out. But other than that, you know, it's just kind of like, well, anybody can really come in because I had a guy that I encountered today who was just like, you know, oh, you're God's, you're God's son, you're God's children, you know. And I'm like, hey, I didn't even know you knew that because he's from a different country, but he's living here in America now. And he was just like, yeah, that's cool. But, you know, God don't like me, so I won't be a part of that. And I'm like. Wait, what? What just happened? You know, like, how do you know God doesn't like you? Are you an Ammonite or a Moabite? Like, you know, which... Are you to have known the mind of God, even? <laughs> yeah, right? So I'm just kind of like, um, well, let's, let's supersede all this and be like, uh, so the only way you would not be liked by God and, and not be his child is because you, you would choose not to be, you know? Exactly. Just so happened that Yeshayahu was standing right there, my my beloved co-worker and violent companion. <laughs> he uh, he was just like, hey, what do you mean? Like, you, you know, you can know God and become his child. And then he looks at me and he goes, tag. <laughs> He's like, I tag you in a mat. Get him. <laughs> I was like, thanks, Yeshayahu. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but anyway, just the the story continues because I mean I don't know, 
you know, really what the depths of it is. But, you know, we just had yeah. a moment where it was just kind of like, man, like, I'm so, like, wow. Like, I can't believe someone would think that they can't be a part of God's people. You know, they can't be his child. It's just like, we need to talk about this. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I just, the idea of... You know, if you think of the idea of just even Hashem as as the creator, we're all his creations. We're beloved to him. He's like our very source. He's our very source. We have like so much connection to him. And and it's just about reaching back out. Amen. Because if he really hated us, we wouldn't be here. Yeah, we would be wiped out (laughs) a long, long time ago. He says blot out the name of Amalek for a reason. Like... You know. Wow. But anyway, that we were talking about Hof, double Haftarah <laughs> Kitese. Yes. <laughs> double Haftarah Kitese. And I think towards the end of Haftarah Kitese, it actually does mention about Hashem's abundant kindness and his oh. his covenant of, of his shalom. And so we'll get into that. Come on. Um, so, overview for Haftarah Kitese. Right. Excuse me. Of course, this is we're in the book of Yeshayahu, fifty-four verses one to ten. Hmm. Says Yeshayah brings a message of confidence to his people in the Babylonian exile, a message of faith in the strength of the relationship between God and Israel. There is a great happening ahead. Israel shall soon be restored to Zion, and when what happens, the ancient land, and when that happens, Sika. The ancient land and its returned uh, and its return to Israel shall no longer be dry and barren. All will be beautifully fruitful. Most important of all, there will be great love once more between God and His people. There shall be renewed the covenant of shalom. Wow, I love so that. This idea, everything being renewed, the idea of of great love between God and His people, for renewed idea of shalom exists, and so. Do you think this, that uh, extends from the covenant Hashem made with Pincus? I think there's definitely connections there. I didn't have enough time to to really map that idea out. Okay. Um, I definitely think there's there's a, a connection that we could possibly make with that. Really? So we'll see where that takes us once we get to that point. All right. Um, so overview of what reading um, we have Parsha Kitsete. You have the first couple ones about Jerusalem will be repopulated. Verse 3, the Jewish people will grow phenomenally, kind of like in Mitzrayim. Wow. And 4 to 10, Hashem will gather in the Jewish nation forever. Cool. If we go back to Parsha Re'eh, we have this this overview, and this is Isaiah 54, 11 to 12. Hashem will rebuild Jerusalem with precious gems. Mm. 13, the spiritual wealth. 14, Sadaka. 15 and 17, Hashem is in charge of war and peace. And chapter 55, 1 through 3, is a call to Torah study. Oh. 4 and 5, all the nations will subordinate themselves to Mashiach. So we're going to have, Bizarre uh, Hashem, a lot, of, a lot of little story time segments in here. Oh, a lot nice. of great little stories based on the verses, Midrashim, and stuff of that nature. Bring it on. I think I might have to go get my Mashiach book. So, um... I'm still here, but just keep going. All right. Be ready to, to jump in with that anytime. All right. 
So we have some. We actually do have some connections, even though this is the half tours of comfort, and it's really based on the season that we're in, leading to Rosh Hashanah and leading to just just building us up, building our 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 relationship with the Shimback and encouraging us to make the shuva. Um, there are still connections to the half tour, and one of those we have this idea of Kitzetze. Uh, warns a Jew to keep all his vows. In this half Torah of Kitete, it mentions that Hashem has sworn um, an oath and that he's going to keep it. And just as he swore, he swore never to bring a worldwide flood, which Noah has mentioned in this half Torah, so he will never again be angry at the Jews after the final ingathering, and that he will definitely keep his promise. So there's the idea of vows, connecting between vows between the half Torah and the, the, the Parsha. There's also the idea that the Haftor compares Hashem's future reconciliation with his chosen people to that of a husband with his previously estranged wife. And if we go back to the Parsha, there's a lot about marriage, divorce, and, and related topics. Um, and so we have this opening thing in this Parsha that deals with the barren woman who is blessed with fertility. And so this is all reminiscent of the mitzvah of Yubum, uh, Levite marriage, where the children are accredited to the one who has died childless. Mm as we, we have seen before in the story of uh, Ruth and, and so on. So our first our first verse in verse 1, it's about seeing Jerusalem, who is like a barren woman who has never given birth. Break into song and shout joyfully, you Jerusalem, who are similar to a woman who has never had labor pains. For the sons of the desolate one, Jerusalem, will be more numerous than those of the nation that oppressed you. Edom, Rome, who is compared to a married woman, at the redemption, your sons will return to your midst, and you will be even more densely populated than Edom, wow. which had therefore been very populous. This is this is the verse with the the midrashic commentary within within it as well. Okay. And so we got our our first story time. Story time. It says a so he a Sadduce, a Sadducee once scoffed at Rav Meir's learned wife Barua, saying. Look what nonsense your prophet spoke, Yeshayahu 54.1. Seeing you, O barren woman, who has never given birth, why should he sing? Because she has never given birth? You fool, Baruch retorted sharply. You only looked at the beginning of the verse without considering the end, which says, For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman. From these words, it is clear that the desolate woman does have sons. The word barren is only a figure of speech. Ooh. The barren woman is a Jewish nation, and she certainly doesn't have wicked sons who will end up in Gehenna like some of your people. That alone is cause for rejoicing. <laughs> and so she gave a, a pretty pretty bold uh, snap back to the Sadducee there. And a little takeaway point from this is just a lot of people get off track, I believe, uh, in their theology. And, and a lot of it's because they essentially quote mine scripture right. <laughs> and she says you only looked at the beginning of the verse without considering the end and how typical that is of our generation and past generation to only look and take fragments of verses that that we we want to to relate to our life and we spew them out at other people as as a weapon just like the sadducee did so may we may we never be this way and may there be a, a, a just just a tacoon brought to this generation, a great healing from that mentality of quote mining scripture and using it as a weapon against people. Oh, man, I agree with that. Oh, Definitely. Yeah.
Because, uh, you know, I, it, it did not sound good for that Sadducee at the end. I mean, I'm still kind of, like, feeling that. It was just kind of like, whoa. Man. Yeah, the whole idea of, like, our, our sons will be in Gehenna. Or will not be in Gehenna, but yours will. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, wow. <laughs> yes. And so, you mentioned uh, Jerusalem uh, earlier, and that's in our second verse. It talks about Jerusalem widen the place of your tent. And so it goes into talking about um, how this is to be understood. And it says, when Mashiach comes, Jews from all of the world, we will gather in Jerusalem. Yes. And it talks about this idea. How are we going to have enough space? It says, miraculously, Jerusalem will have enough space for all the Jews to enter. Ooh. And it goes through this history of all these times similar miracles have happened in our history. It talks about on the second day of creation, how the waters that fill the entire earth when Hashem commanded, let the waters gather into the into oceans and rivers, and it just like that whole whole idea. How could these waters that previously filled the whole world fit into limited spaces and still leave room for dry land? <laughs> so Hashem made We got another one when Yehoshua led Bnei Israel across the Jordan in Eretz Canaan. He gathered the entire people between the two bars of the Aaron. Yes, their bonds became spiritual and did not occupy space. Yehoshua told them from this miracle. You see that the living God is in your midst, and what, we've got another one. They became spiritual. Sleeka. Uh, their bodies, their bodies became very spiritual. They did not occupy occupy any space. Oh my goodness! So, <laughs> so this is like, a whole new meaning to not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says Hashem. Yes, this is the the idea of of. of Matter is is the scientific definition of matter, but anything that has mass and takes up space. And so it says that people do not occupy any space anymore. And so it's like yeah. you have that equation from Einstein equals m d squared. Since the energy equals like mass times the speed of light squared, yeah, it's just like Hashem made made a miracle happen where he just like must have made the their the mass, the matter in their bodies just. Uh, increased speed so much that they became pure energy and spiritual bodies. Well, tag. What you got? I agree so much. And to keep it scientifically, all um, right. You know, when you're going at the speed of light, it's almost as if time doesn't exist. So, yes. what does that say about mass at that point? Because you you think about the light that'll be in the city of Jerusalem will not be the light of the sun, the moon, and the stars. It will actually be the light of the Lamb. Yeah. So, you know, we've seen this before, actually, and um, trying to think here. Oh, yes, Or HaKaim, violent uh, commentary on uh, Parsha, I believe it's Beshalach, and he's talking about how the clouds are carrying the children of Israel through the wilderness. And how they don't need any light because the whole clouds are lit up by the light of Hashem, the light of the Shekinah. And with, wow. that, with this light, um, basically there was never any darkness and this light gave them the ability to see through earthen vessels. And I thought it was very interesting that the commentary pointed out specifically that the light gave them the ability to see through earthen vessels insinuating that this earthly matter is transformed or quote-unquote transfigured in the context of the light of the shekinah 
which would be the light of the lamb. Wow, that's incredible. And so you like this whole idea, like it's also in between the bars of the the, the bars of the, the ark. So what does that right? say? <laughs> oh, you have the idea of you know, like there's another ark that kept Yosef's bones. Mm. Right. So you have the idea of there, like the whole like sacrifice, like you have the the lamb, the light of the lamb. And that's where everything was, was, that's where their, their spirit was held. And so it's like the idea of, and this area was an area outside of, of space and time, if you will. Good night. That was and so the whole idea. You don't have to bring up Joseph talking like that. <laughs> well, I mean, you started it talking about, you know, lambs. So <laughs> wow. the light of the lamb. And so you have the idea that the light of the lamb, the light of, is like this whole idea of, of the sacrifice, the bones of Yosef, wow. the light of the lamb, is an area that's beyond time. God. It's 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 a moment. It's a it's a moment. A little little area within time that can encompass all of all the matter within reality and all the time within within the time scale. And so that's what we have in this this little this little midrash about them being. Occupying the space between the Aran, the bars between the Aran. Cassis, put the infinity stone down. <laughs> <laughs> I can't hold it any longer. You've got the space stone and you're just going crazy with it right now. I'm going to have to have a team to, to keep this keep this in, keep from exploding. Wow. Hey, no, that was so but, legit. Hey, that was, uh, man, wow. Beautiful. Y'all should co op. Smell, man. Yeah. Well, you know, just the idea of if you're ever wondering how uh, Yeshua's death on the execution strike can atone for everyone for all time, Come like on. there it is within that midrash. Come on, man! And we have we have this other other miracle that took place um, that's mentioned in Pirkei Avot, where it talks about how everyone would gather on the Yob Tov, and there was not an inch of space between one Jew to another, but when they bowed down. During the tefillah, during the Shemona Ezra, the Amidah, yeah. um, that they suddenly had an area of an ama, which is about two feet in mm-hmm. each direction around them, so they could pray in complete, like with complete kavanah and privacy, and on Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur for their confession of their sins. And it just goes on to mention that a, sp- a similar miracle will happen in the future, where uh, Jerusalem will be invested with this spiritual power. And expand and accommodate all of its returning sons. And then you mentioned earlier about about Jerusalem and the great sanctity of the place being that's where Hashem lives. Yep. And the question is why is why must all the Jews fit into Jerusalem? Couldn't they settle somewhere else? Why? And it's the idea of Hashem will want every Jew to spend some time in Jerusalem to experience his great kedusha. Only in Jerusalem will the Jews absorb the supreme holiness of the Shekhanah, which will elevate them spiritually. Why? Because it's his house. Like you pointed out earlier, it's his house. It's where he dwells. And so it's only there that they will, they'll, they'll absorb the supreme holiness of his presence. Wow. It's only in his house. The, what's that? The, the Tehillim. Like essentially only one thing I desire is to dwell in the house of the Lord. And that's Tehillim 27. Come on. Yes. Uh, real quick, if I could tag in on this enlargement, because I agree so much, I was looking at the word enlarge, and the root is rechav, 
which is definitely uh, the same letters as Rahab. Rahab, yes. So when you look at the word in large, it is also the same letters for Bakar, which means to be chosen. And wow. you think about the bracha before the reading of the Torah when it says Asher Bakar Banu, like and he has chosen us and selected us from among all the peoples. <clears throat> so there's this uh, this element to you know making space and um, welcoming, which is what Rechav did for the spies that Yehoshua sent in, you know, for Caleb and Pincus. Where she uh, basically, not only did she make space for them, but she made space for her family through the scarlet thread, you know. And so placing that blood on her doorposts, not only did she bring herself salvation, but she brought salvation to her whole house. Wow. Oh, man. Thank you so much for that elucidation. That is incredible. Like a shot and bless the whole idea of Yerushalayim widening, opening up that space, taking it back to Rechav, and just her opening up her house and, and bringing salvation to these two men. Incredible. That's incredible. Through the scarlet thread. The scarlet thread. All right. Selah. <laughs> and we go on. We go on and talk about, um, in the next verse, talking about... Uh, for you, the Jewish nation will burst forth to the right and left, even past the boundaries of Eretz Israel. And so it's talking, Midrash talks about how in the time of Mashiach, Hashem will uh, cause the Jews to multiply vastly, just like he did in Mitzrayim. Yes, I mean. And it talks about this idea that, that having many children is a merit even today, for it helps bring Mashiach. And we mentioned before um, that you know, it's not just just physical children, but also spiritual children, mm. those who you're bringing up in the ways of Torah and uh, Derek Eretz, you know, good, good ethics. Okay. There's also... Wait, other... wait, 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 whoa, whoa. Pull the... What's that? All the way okay. back. Derek Eretz? What was that? Uh, Derek Eretz, like like the, the will of the land. It's like essentially like ethics and, and Musar. Oh, which wow. is said to come before uh, Torah study. It's having just this, this good nature and this, this good will about you. Like developing good character traits. Torah Rabbah. That's, that's what I was looking for. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so all these, all these, I think, is also an allusion to another idea on the idea of... Um, of breaking, breaking forth, bursting forth from the right and the left, mm -hmm. uh, which is when you have children, where, where it's physical children, spiritual children, and you're developing people in Derek Eretz or uh, Torah study, um, you also have the idea in Pesachim 87b, cool. which is talking about how uh, Chazal say, all of Israel had to be exiled to all corners of the world so that the righteous non-Jews would be exposed to the Torah. And many of them will become converts. And this will be another aspect of Kol Israel spreading out in all directions. And so these two things tie in together. After this, after this whole idea of bringing in the converts and, and going, going, like, raising and educating physical, spiritual children, Yeshiyahu goes in and turns about 
starts talking about the the redemption and once it arrives there will never again be an exile so this is our final redemption you know my exile it's our final redemption it's long and it's hard and but we just have to keep pushing through that's right amen chazak 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 amen well um do we have a moment to to swerve with the uh the nations getting converted yeah yeah i'd love to well because i'm in my what the rabbis know about the messiah book which is my i just this is a gift from the incredible talmud that i have just constantly keep referring to same book <laughs> so if somebody says mashiach you know what i'm pulling out okay but anyway so first of all this is um page 116 uh, i don't know what chapter i didn't really let me see Sleeka, 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 sleeka. Chapter 20 is where he's doing this. And um, he says that Mashiach is to be a light to the Gentiles. According to Yeshiyahu 49, 5 through 6. Come on, man. Yeshiyahu just crazy. And he says, and now says Hashem who formed you from the womb to be his servant. To bring Yaakov again to him, and he said, It is a light thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Yaakov and restore the preserved of Yisrael. I will also give you for a light to the Gentiles that you may be my salvation to the end of the earth. Important to know, salvation is deliverance. Okay, and then over here on the next page, it says, um, boom, 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 boom. Where did I just see? Here we go. This understanding is not for rabbis only, laity leaders and leaders, uh, men and women, Jews and Gentiles alike may appropriate these truths through repentance, which is teshuva and faith in Yeshua, the Messiah. So you get to be brought in no matter where you're from. <laughs> As long as you're making teshuva and you have faith in Mashiach, which is the living Torah, you know, son of God. So you have attached yourself to the faith of Israel when you're believing in Mashiach Yeshua. Sometimes that's forgotten. So make sure we get the whole piece. And uh, yeah, so the Gentiles, the nations, the Goyim. I currently idolaters, uh, they have the opportunity to be brought into salvation through Mashiach Yeshua. And I'm um, uh, like, there's also this idea. I love that you mentioned the whole idea of like light to the nations because elsewhere in Yeshia and Isaiah, it mentions that. And in that day, Isaiah 11, 10, in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him. And his resting place shall be glorious. And it talks about later on how Mashiach will stand as a banner to the nations so that they will observe him and learn from his deeds and walk in his ways. Just as they will observe and follow the banner of war. And this is for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. Meaning that his honor and stature will not come from the wars he made. Rather, they shall seek him because he brings rest from wars. Tag. And he goes on to talk about this single messianic banner refers to the unity of Israel and the unity of the nations and their single-minded worship of the one God of Israel. As it was said, 
and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And in that day, the Lord is one, and his name is one. And I'll just add right before you get into your tag is that not all wars are necessarily physical. There are most of the wars that we battle are, are spiritual, emotional, internal in nature. And, and Mashiach really came to do battle against that, against the wars within our own selves, and give us his shalom. Okay, that was just violence. Okay, because first of all, what you just said right there at the end, that is the meaning of kitetse. So Hasidic thought goes into that whole thing on it's not that you're going out to war with your enemies like physical flesh and blood. It's actually spiritual warfare. So uh, I appreciate that prelude because with the help of Hashem, one of the Midnight Tour study sessions this week will be about that spiritual warfare concept that you just elucidated. So, other than that, being uncalled for, I just wanted to add to your Yeshiyahu 11.10, because in the Mashiach book over here, it says that there's this um, prophecy and fulfillment section. There's the prophecy of Yeshiyahu 11.10, fulfillment, Acts 10.45. Ooh. And what's going on in Acts 10, 45? Many people always say, yeah, kosher's done away with, the blanket came down, da-da-da-da-da. Kaif was like, that's not what that meant. If you keep reading here, check it out. It says, they of the circumcision, which believed, were astonished, as many as came with Kepha, because that on the Gentiles... Also was poured out this the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, in other words, Kepha was elucidating in this second section of uh, Acts chapter ten. Like Hashem showed me this this blanket with all these different animals on there, because He was saying that He's making pure those who we like literally us Jews, uh, the people of the circumcision. Like we've seen these these people as common and uh, Gentiles are like dead corpses. You know, Jewish uh, teachings have this idea in them. You know, now, obviously, us at Lapid, we are a little bit beyond that. Maybe a lot. OK, we're a lot beyond that. So <laughs> there's that. But, you know, as far as the context here, Kepha's really bringing down that, hey, I was just with Cornelius and according to Judaism, he's seen as a dead corpse because he's a goy. However, he's a righteous goy because he's a part of synagogues. And, um, you know, Hashem just said, don't call common what I've made clean. And here's the Ruach HaKodesh to prove it. That's Yeshayahu 11.10, that Gentiles are being brought in. And Hashem don't care who you are. He'll convert you and your grandsister at the same time. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, this this whole idea that you bring down about, about seeing people as common, you know, I think that's that's a pretty that's a pretty heavy topic. We've we've also seen before, like and discussed before that like originally you have all the great Sadiqim who, when they looked at the Gentiles, they didn't just see him as, as something common, something filthy. Like, you look at Moshe, when he's talking about, are there trees in the land? Ooh. And there's many commentaries that refer to this, are there, are there righteous people who can essentially make converts out of? 
even and Yehoshua had the same idea when he went and went and went into Jericho. It was essentially having that mission that of 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 his his Rabbi Moshe and saying, "How many converts can I bring out of this place?" And end up being Rahav and and assumably, presumably, uh, many of her household. And so this whole idea about making converts for the nations is, is not a new idea. And if you look at the the way the Sadakim all viewed people, especially Abraham, um, he didn't see them as something less than or, or something common or dogs or, or what have you. He saw them as some someone to come in to Hashem's fold. Really, you read that Tehillim 27 is, is one of the, the, common, the common psalms to recite traditionally as we approach like Rosh Hashanah. And it starts out by saying, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And I think the order of this is really important because if you think of it from a scientific standpoint, light is the, the, the medium by which we, we see, um, we, we are able to see everything around us. And what colors radiate from everything around us, what light absorbs, what light is refracted, um, and just the whole idea of light and the spectrum of light. And then right after that, right after the, the light, which is the medium by which we see, it talks about, and my salvation. So the whole idea of, of like the whole idea of, of the light and sight being a precursor to salvation. And so how you see things, what it's essentially saying is like how you see things can determine are you, are you going to bring salvation from that? Get you and some. And Mashiach Yeshua actually says something something uh, very similar where he talks about the light of man and if there's no light, then then how great is that darkness within one's eyes? And so if you, you only see darkness, and like how great is that darkness going to be? But if you see things in a, in a positive light, if you see people for who Hashem sees them as his children, yeah. as his creations, then you're going to be be a vessel to bring his salvation to those people and bring them into the covenant. Man. That was legit. Uh, just to to source out what you're talking about, Luke eleven thirty four. your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes yes. are healthy, your whole body is also full of light. So if you ain't seeing that nations can come in the Torah, you probably probably need to go see the great physician mm-hmm. rekindle the, your eyes <laughs> rekindle your eyes Get yes and then the last statement it says but when they are unhealthy your body is also full of darkness mm-hmm. luke eleven thirty four. yes carry on all right so we have uh in this and this next next verse in seven it talks about, for a short moment, I have forsaken you, says Hashem to the Jewish nation, but with great loving kindness, I will gather you in eternally. Boy, and so, mention this whole idea of uh, when he says he has momentarily forsaken us, he means that his providence for us is not readily apparent, Ooh. for he allows evil to befall us. Ooh. And so it's like this, the exile is actually a short moment. And comparatively, you have the, the second Bay of Mekdash, we've spent almost 2,000 years among the nations. Yeah. But still at the redemption, our, our Gallus will seem like a short as a single moment. And it goes into comparing this whole exile to like a nightmare when and we're in the dream. It's terrorizing. It feels like it's never going to end. But when we look back on it, 
it's like Tehillim 126 where Hashem says, or where David says, when Hashem returns the captive Jews from Gelis, we will be like dreamers, right? At the beginning, it's so overwhelming, never-ending. Uh, the redemption will be, be the beginning of such overwhelming, never-ending goodness and kindness on Hashem's part that all the thousands of years of hardships and troubles will seem like a fleeting dream. I agree. What you got? Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Amen, amen. So Tehillim 126 and Romans 8 definitely match up right there. That is incredible. So much for but Paul said. It's more like and Paul said. Oh. <laughs> or I should say and Rabbi Shaul the Pharisee said. Oh, my word. I'm oh. stealing that. Do it. Take it. It's a gift. You don't have to steal it. I'll freely give it to you. Freely I've been given. Thank you for keeping me observant. Good night. And I, I absolve you from that vow. No. Thank you. I appreciate you, my, uh, my brother's keeper right here. <laughs> man. Uh, I, I can't help but though when I look at this verse, it says, "I have forsaken you," and I can't help but think of Mashiach's words: "says says Why have you forsaken me?" When it's on the execution stake. Mm. But notice, it's just for a fleeting moment. It's just for a temporary exile. But there's there's bound to be a restoration that comes afterwards. And, and that was this, modeled with Mashiach. It was modeled with Mashiach. Because that that moment, you know, it was only that moment because. Right after that, he gave up the ghost, and he was reunited with the Father again. Exactly. <laughs> so, no, nobody can quote mine that and use that as a weapon. <laughs> I mean, if, uh, the whole idea about this is uh, about um, forsaking us for a temporary moment, especially when compared to the whole idea of exile. Uh, in the verse before, it talks about the, how the Jewish nation, how we're likened to the wife of one's youth, uh, of Shem's youth, if you will, yeah. uh, and who cannot be replaced by any other woman. And so it's this, this whole idea of the Jewish ideal, ideal of matrimony, which is this, this far cry from the world's whole degraded, this, this degraded attitude towards marriage and matrimony and, and unionship, if that's even a word. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like this, this whole idea that a, a Jewish husband who lives a Torah life is never going to consider and abandoning the wife, his wife, in favor of another woman. Because as years go by, you're supposed to grow closer, not more distant. And and you have to understand that, that knowing that the key to a happy marriage lies within your own commitment to each other. Ooh. And, of course, uh, Hashem's help. Yep. And so this the Navi here, Yashia, he compares... Uh, no better, no better analogy than describing Hashem's attachment to uh, all of Israel as the wife of one's youth, who is never forgotten and never replaced. Yeah, Mashiach definitely talked about that, you know, because he was questioned about, yeah, we can get a, we can get a get, right? And he's like, get out of here, you know. <laughs> yes, I love that. Uh, you can get out of here with that idea. Yeah, right. He said, I'm, I'm siding with Shammai on this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, a little later on, as we ever make our make our way down towards the end of this this half Torah, it talks about why uh, it, it, it mentions this idea of Noach, 
and he he reminds us about his oath concerning the waters of Noah and his promises of binding as as that time where he would never again flood the entire world. Wow. And similarly, he has sworn that after redemption, he will never again be angry or rebuke us. And it says, why will Shem never be angry at Bnei Israel? Wow. And it says this. Well, I'm glad you asked. It says, he was angry because of our sins. However, exile atones for them, and Hashem will no longer be angry at us. So it's the whole idea of this idea of suffering, this idea of exile, is an atonement for your sins. So we've stressed this before, but I'm stressing again. Stress, um, the, Stress out. Like, Judaism teaches the atonement of sins through suffering, point blank, period. And right now we know Mashiach is sitting at the gates of Rome, you know, in exile. He's there atoning for us. Because we know Hashem, he suffers with us. That's the whole idea we talked about in Haftor Shoftim. The comfort comes because he suffers with us and suffers for us, I should say. Believe it. In place of us. And so uh, there is this little little side note because it does mention Noah. Mm-hmm. And this is a why. Why is the marble, the great flood, caused the waters of Noah? Why does he refer to it as in this way, in this verse? And it, it mentions that when Noah heard about Hashem destroying all mankind, it, it has this this criticism towards him that he should have begged Hashem to show compassion and spare the world, but he failed to do so. And so the marble, this this great flood, is blamed on him, and it's therefore termed the waters of Noah. It's, it's this harsh critic against Noah, and, and I have no doubt he was a righteous man, and even scripture validates that. And that he was a Sadiq, but I think it's good for us to understand, use his life as a picture of how can we overcome the challenges, the, the mistakes of our forefathers. Why he did what he did, uh, Midrash and other sources comments that there's a Zohar that talks about it being this act of selfishness. Okay, it's it's kind of it's kind of vague in that sense. But then there's uh, Sefer Esh Dash that talks about his his attitude, this whole idea of of not why he didn't atone for everybody, why he didn't ask for forgiveness and compassion for everybody, because he had a misplaced sense of modesty and humility to the point that he didn't feel that he was worthy to be saved. So much so. He believed that how could he ever hope to annul this heaven decree for everyone else if he felt he wasn't even worthy to be saved? And so it's this idea of of everything's healthy in moderation and balance. There is this such a thing as, as healthy pride, the, the pride that helps you get started on a mitzvah. Like the whole world depends, say the whole world depends on me, right? right? Because the world is sustained through Torah study. That's right. But that pride's never meant to be carried off past the point of initiating a mitzvah. During the midst of an Asher Mitzvah, you're supposed to have this idea of, of nothingness and humility, and I can strive to be better, better. but before, have this, this healthy pride to encourage you to begin this mitzvah. And this is what, what Noah lacked because of his uh, misplaced sense of modesty and humility. He felt that he wasn't worthy to the point where he didn't ask for anyone else to become absolved from this decree. It was still his duty to intercede for his fellow man, regardless of his own uh, interpersonal dialogue. Tag. What you got? Thank you for elucidating this week's Torah portion, Mitzvah, of making a parapet for your roof. Oh, please elucidate. You just did. Everything you talked about (laughs) with having this initial pride 
to begin your mitzvah and then refraining from that, you know, and um, for the simple fact that uh, we don't need to get too unbalanced and out of control with that. Basically, the Lakute Sikot this week brings down that the parapet on the roof is all about having boundaries for our pride. The roof oh, wow. is called our pride. You know, that if you think about it, that's the place where we go that's above everything, the place where we can look out over all the places. And it's like if you're on your rooftop, you need to have a guardrail because if you don't, you're going to fall. And if you don't fall, somebody else can, because if you're inviting people over to your house and they go up on the rooftop and they fall, it's your fault. So not only is it checking our pride, but setting up proper boundaries for other people so that, you know, by our example, by the environment that we create, that we encourage proper balance of humility, you know, yes, have pride in bringing forth Torah, bringing forth the kingdom, you know, the violent take it by force. But at the same time, don't get crazy, you know. We don't need Man, people I, falling off the roof, breaking their leg. Why? Yes. I, I, I just want to tag in here. Um, I, I really love that elucidation, and that, that, that's, a, that's an incredible insight you're sharing. And I, I, as you're, you're saying that, I was thinking about how, how much of these mitzvahs that Hashem commands us encourage us to truly be intentional and not to just live life as happenstance and just like, well, here it is, and or here I am on my way and just thoughtless, thoughtlessly carrying out the commandments and thoughtlessly going out through your, your entire day. You have the whole idea of the uh, accidental killer that we talked about and, and the Parshas and this idea that there's still a consequence that comes with that because like uh, what you mentioned about building the border for your roof, there's still this punishment that has to go along with that because in some aspect... You are not being intentional, and your lack of intentionality, if you will, caused the, the death or, or the pain of another person, of another human being, of your fellow Jew, even. And so, so much of his mitzvahs, Hashem's mitzvahs, really call us to be very intentional, very thorough, and very careful. I don't know whether to throw something or whether to cry. That's so beautiful. You can do both. I am. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but you know our 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 sages uh, and and Chazal and all these great men really they they did this very thing. They took this very heart of the commandment, this very spirit of the law of being intentional of of guarding um, their Talmudim of all of Israel um, for us in this respect. Yeah, and they did this in how they formulated our Sidor, how they formulated our prayers. Oh, come on. Right. Speaking of Noach, he did not intercede for the people. Speaking of Abraham, he entreated the Almighty to spare even the wicked sinners of Sodom. And then Moshe went as far as risking his own life to save the Jewish people from destruction. He talked about the golden calf when he begged them, rather than destroy them, blot me out from the living. And then I would tag on there that Yeshua actually did risk his life and did put down his life for us so you have this constant elevation Mm. and taking it back to what i I, I was mentioning earlier about chazal and the way they formulate our prayer book in in a way that would guard us kind of like the the roofing 
the, the borders of the roof that we're supposed to put up in this, this Parsha, they formulate the prayers to say that, that one of the reasons all the requests in our prayers are formulated in the plural is to encourage our sense of connection with other Jews. And the various blessings of the Shemona Ezra, we pray, let us do complete teshuva, forgive us, heal us, and so on. And in this way, they put a guard around us. That way we would avoid Noach's mistake because we include our fellow Jews' welfare in our personal prayers, our fer- personal tefillah. Jesus and so in this... I'm telling you, like, uh, it's it's not just this, like like I'm saying, Hashem doesn't want us to be unintentional and thoughtless. And so a lot of people, uh, at, least, at least some mentalities that I've heard before or in the past, um, is that or look at the Sador, it's just like this these these cold cold letters it's pre um, pre-written prayers that you can't be connected to but the whole idea of it is to connect us to all of Israel the whole idea of it was established to protect us from our lack of intentionality and to to protect and be mindful of the welfare of our brothers and sisters I mean tag because I agree. I'm uh, looking at the Sidur overview, the complete Art Scrolls Sidur, sourced out. Here's what it says under plural prayer. It says, we are at our noblest when we pray in the plural. Because only by pleading for the greater good of all Yisrael and, okay, it says all Yisrael and all the world. So, so much for Gentiles. <laughs> They're included in this too. We're praying for them. We're praying for them. <laughs> I, I, I got tagged when you when you done with that concept. That was amazing, all by right. the way. So, greater good of all Israel and all the world. Can we fully achieve God's purpose for allowing His benefit, His beneficence, to flow upon all His creation? And then it says, man has become so powerful. He can and does uh, fail to realize that he is strong only because God made him so and that he is no less dependent on Hakadosh Baruchu, the one above. And it says, then were his humblest ancestors scratching at rocky soil with a wooden plow. So there's this idea of even our forefathers and primitive times and things like that, you know, we're no we're no greater than they are and then we're praying not only for Israel but for the whole world and that's actually what makes us noble so there's this idea of being great but humble at the same time and that's what happens when we include everybody in our prayer go for it amazing 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 thank you and as you're talking you really inspired me with this whole idea of like covering your brother Mm. That's why of, of what Mashiach said that there's no greater love than this than a man laid down his life for his friends. Right. I'm thinking about the gematria of life and Chai. What's the gematria? Oh, Shimone. Yeah, it's 18. The same uh, amount of blessings <laughs> in the Shimone Yezre. Good night. So literally, and in that, like you said, we're praying for us. Forgive us. Heal us. Let us. And so literally, that moment, you're laying down your chai, you're laying down your, your 18 prayers for your brother. And no, there is no greater love than this. 
Oh my goodness. You need to get some help. <laughs> I, I would also add on, um, since in the next half tour, there's mention of Torah study that I believe Mashiach is also talking about um, the idea of, of Torah because in later, later in Endeavorim it says the Torah is our very life. And so the whole, the whole idea of the word they use there for laying down is that it also has a connotation of expanding and elaborating upon. So expanding and elaborating upon on the Torah that you, you've learned, there's no greater love than this. And to, to give that to your brother and help him grow as Mashiach helped his Talmudim grow in Torah and mitzvot and prayer. Well, all right then. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings us to our last section in this in Ki Seitzi Half Torah. Yes, sir. Which says, verse 10, Mountains may move, and an earthquake and hills may cave in, because I am angry, but my kindness will never depart from you, the Jewish nation, and my covenant of a shalom will not give, a, give way, says Hashem, who has compassion on you. And this is real interesting because it mentions this whole idea of merits. Yes. And this idea of do the forefathers' merits benefit the Jewish nation forever? And this is a point of debate between Chazal, and there's different different opinions. But essentially, uh, some opinions, the forefathers' merits expires after a certain period of time. And it's this idea of how can we gain favor of Shem's eyes after time has elapsed? And it goes on talking about how the mountains symbolize the three patriarchs the Jewish pe- of the Jewish people. The hills are the four matriarchs. And even after mountains will move and the hills cave in, after their merits will have been used up. And it says, Hashem says, after all this, my kindness will still not depart from you. So it goes back to Hashem's kindness is not going to depart even after the forefathers and, and the mothers and uh, that we have whose whose merits like sustain us during like difficult times. And so it goes to talk about how Hashem's mercy is everlasting. It benefits us even after the merit of our forefathers has been exhausted. And what's interesting here uh, where it talks about, you know, my covenant of peace, I will not give away. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier about possible allusion to, to Pinchas. Mm-hmm. And you have... Uvrit Shlomi, Uvrit Shlomi, and my covenant, uh, the, and the covenant of my peace. Well, if you look at the word Shlomi, my peace, yeah. it has a gematria of 386. Hey. Oh, oh. <laughs> I was waiting for you to get it. Same gematria as Yeshua. Yud Shin Vav Ayin, and Shlomi will be Shin Lamed Vav Mem Yud, same gematria as Yeshua. And was uh, Yeshua Mashiach say in Yochanan 14.22 says my shalom I give to you and he talks about but not as the world gives and so it goes on to say don't let your heart be troubled right? don't let your heart be troubled when the merit of the forefathers the merit of, of the matriarchs pass away because my kindness will sustain you till the end of the age did you just drop the mic <laughs> can you hear me now no. <laughs> dude it sounded like that mic drop, but uh, yeah, I'm just no comment, no tag. <laughs> wow. Well, Ruksha, man, um, we if if you're up for it, we can continue and, and finish off and have to arrive. I'm up for it. Are you up for it? I'm definitely up for it. Um, second tour, second half to portion. Locking in. All right. Here we go. 
Uh, before before we get there, I just like to point out, just kind of like just a zoom out because we've been in the seven uh, half tours of consolation of comfort, however you want to uh, look at it. We've been in Motel uh, Seven, really. <laughs> Motel Seven. <Comfort. laughs> oh yeah, comfort and uh, <laughs> so we have this idea. You have seven these seven half tours of comfort and consolation, and we just got through reading. The fifth one, mm. and we're going back. We're going back to the third, Re'e. Wow. And so if you're looking at that, if you kind of line them all up, you get almost this imagery of a, a menorah, right? You have the, the three three on the side, and you have the shmash candle and the shmash, uh, the centerpiece right in the middle. Mm-hmm. And so... You have the the fifth branch, which is right next to the shmash, and then you have the third branch, which is also right next to the shmash, right? Like the center one, and that is for those who don't know, that's like the that's the what's considered the servant candle, right? The center branch, the center, the very centerpiece, the one that holds everything together, the one that serves to light all the other branches. And what really comes in between the parshas, the Hathor of Re'e and the Hathor of Ki Tetze is the Hathor of Shoftim. And we mentioned earlier that, that this is the one where Yeshua's name is like Torah-coded in, in the verse 17 in there, where it's talking about taking up the cup of God's wrath. Hamashiach is also encoded in a Torah code within that same verse of taking up the God's cup of God's wrath. Right. And, and that whole... The whole half tour of Shoftim deals with the idea of comforting us through Hashem, comforting us through suffering with us and suffering for us. And so, when you when you have these two these half tours laid next to each other, you you kind of get this picture of this menorah and and the center branch that's holding all these half tours of comfort together is 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 the half tour that deals with Hashem comforting us by suffering with us and for us. So I just want to take a, a zoom out, and then we can come back into the the third branch, back to the third branch, if you will, of this the menorah of consolation, as it says that the psalm we read during this during this time, Psalms twenty seven, Hashem is my light and my salvation. All right, just like a more the lights of menorah, and and the salvation that comes from that light uh, reaching to the ends of the earth, acting all the all the nations to to come into the covenant of Hashem. I mean, come on in, everybody. Don't be scared. <laughs> All right. So, um, let's begin with a story time. Story time. So we have in verse... Verse uh, 12, 54, 12, and I'll make your window panes from Chachod gems, your gates from Achad gems, and your entire territory from precious stones. And so it goes in and talking about this, and it, there's this story time right here. It says, Rabbi Yochanan taught, in the future, Hashem will supply gems measuring 10 by 20 amos, and that's about 20 by 40 feet, and set them into the gates of Jerusalem. One of his students smirked upon hearing this. There's no such gem in existence. One can rarely find a gem the size of a bird's egg. Soon after, his student was traveling on a ship. As punishment, Hashem made this ship sink into the depths of the ocean. There, the young men beheld a wondrous sight. 
angels were cutting down gems and pearls to the size of 10 by 20 almost. Those precious stones had already been prepared in the sea since the six days of creation. For whom are these? The student inquired. He's underwater. He's like, who are these for? Like, you know, they <laughs> don't have bigger worries right now. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> but he told them, in the future, the Almighty will set them in the gates of Jerusalem. The student miraculously survived the trip and immediately uh, apologized to Rabbi Yochanan. Every word you said is true. With my own eyes, I saw these gems being cut to size. And without, and without seeing it yourself, you don't believe what the sages teach? You are a mocker and a non-believer, Ooh. Rabbi Yochanan thundered, staring at the student intent- intently. This caused the Medat Hadin to strike the young man, turning him into a lifeless heap of bone. Wow. So there you have the idea, like... Oh, go ahead, go, go ahead. Well, I, I mean, I was going to make a terrible joke about him having deep insight, but uh, ultimately, he had, uh, it did not work out well for him. So, I mean, I think about Thomas when he was like, I won't believe until I see Messiah, Messiah and put my hand in his side. And Baruch Hashem, that Mashiach is so full of compassion that he's like, please put your hand in my side. You know, I'm not going to turn you into a bag of bones, but, you know, blessed are those who believe and don't see. Yes, excellent. That's 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 definitely a parallel balance scene in there, too. So we're like on synchronicity mode cool. and just it goes into seeing the just like the, the mercy of, of Yeshua. Yeah. It's our mercy, not sacrifice. And just oh. you know, you know. He was this this disciple. Since you won't make a terrible joke, I will. Uh-oh. This Talmud was definitely twenty thousand leagues under the sea. Talmud. <laughs> oh my word! Because you know, oral yeah. Torah is compared to the sea. And Mashiach was the manifestation of the oral Torah. Yes. That's why just about everything he quoted you can find in the oral Torah. Man, not a coincidence. There's different commentaries, and and everything says that essentially they are still going to be these literal gems, these little precious stones. However, there's also this symbolism that's inherent in this that doesn't negate the the Peshat meaning of them being literal gems. But the symbolism is that they symbolize the mitzvot and righteous deeds of all of Israel. And the angels who are busy cutting them down... That is what they're doing is causing them to have the proper effect upon the upper worlds. And so just a, just a powerful insight that we have more power than we think we do. We have more connection uh, as, as, as Jewish people who are, who are within the covenant to affect the upper worlds. And like, like Noah, who, who's afraid he couldn't affect the upper worlds. You know, whereas you have Avraham and Moshe who, who pleaded and they affected these upper worlds with their prayers and their mitzvot. And, and made these huge chains and these decrees of mercy upon all of Israel. And another interpretation is that every tear which a Jew sheds because of this exile is actually turned into a gem, which Hashem stores away for the future Beit HaMikdash. So when we read our Sadoras and we plead for the rebuilding of the temple and, and, and the hearts of the exile is more we can bear, and we just just feel tears falling down our face, like literally those tears are building into the, those sincere tears. Those sincere tears are building into the beauty of the house of Hashem. And you're literally coming before him with your tears as they did in the tabernacle in the wilderness, bringing forth all the supplies to build the house of God. 
You talk about Hashem being a God of mercy. I mean, to take up our tears, you know, like him wiping away every tear is really using them as a dormant for his house. Mm -hmm. It's almost this might be a little a little childish, you will, but it's almost like, you know, the 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 drawing that, that a child may give to his father and they hang it up on the fridge. Oh, like it's just this moment of pride. Like you know, even even though you're crying for the temple, you know that th- those tears won't be enough. Just like the the drawing isn't quite up to par, but it's the fact that you put forth so much effort and to to give to a shim, to give to your father. He takes that and he puts it on, puts it on the the wall, the refrigerator, and it just just to decorate decorate the house with with the things that you put forth your effort with. That's legit. I got I got some of those pictures on my on my fridge right now. <laughs> so, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Gotta love those little paintings, man. Definitely. That, that's that's was... the kind of stuff you you fight like a rockwaller for. You know, you like I, I you better not touch my fridge. You know. <laughs> no, uh, mine. <laughs> wow, man, this is incredible. Agreed. Uh, but it. It, it goes in this idea of, of these huge gems and, and why we'll be so wealthy in the future. There's there's a couple, there's there's, a, there's like three main reasons. And one is to make Jerusalem beautiful. So the nations will honor, uh, honor the Jews greatly and they will start to appreciate the teachings of Torah. So here it is, again, the idea of bringing in the nations. And <laughs> again. two, again, you know, two, do away with the need to worry about earning a living. I can't and wait for that. I cannot wait. I'm going to be real greedy first in line. I will trip somebody. There's even this midrash. Now you mentioned tripping, tripping people and causing problems <laughs> between you your brother. Tripping? <laughs> <laughs> you, you tripping. But over here, uh, you mentioned this, but it's uh, ironic and I should say fitting that there's a midrash right after this that talks about how uh, two two Jews are kind of going at it for like this money settlement and there's there's an argument taking place and so they they suggest to the other one hey let's go see King Mashiach and he's going to decide who's right but upon approaching Jerusalem they pick up so many precious stones that's around the neighborhood that's around the area that eventually eventually they're just like well this trip has made me so much so rich that. I don't even care about our argument and money problems anymore. Oh, my <laughs> I have more than enough. Wow. That has so much depth to what you just said. I mean, that's... Wow. Yes. Because basically what I'm seeing from what you just said is like, if you're in an argument, if you're in any kind of contention, you know, any kind of uh, strife, that if you will join together if two or more can agree and walk on the same path. Because, you know, you can't walk on the same path unless two agree. So if you do that and you walk towards Mashiach on your way to him, it causes everything to work out. Mm-hmm. And, and, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I think you're about to say what I was thinking. No, no, please, please. I don't, I don't mean to interrupt. Finish your thought. Well, uh, I was just going to say, like, if you just look at the beauty of that, you see this picture about how, you know, if we're if we're with Mashiach and it, it doesn't matter where we are, you know, like if we're coming together towards him, 
he's going to provide this reconciliation that is so beautiful. Oh, man, I love that. And you can almost say that, um, like, I love how you put the, the two or more coming together uh, and going towards him, approaching him, like two or more coming in his name. Yes. You want to say, as you, as you approach Mashiach, especially with, with another, another, mm-hmm. you are definitely bound to pick up the pearl of great price. Mm-hmm. So there's that. There is that. <laughs> which brings us to, talking about Mashiach, which brings us to our next verse in 13, which is extremely interesting. Right. It says, and all your sons will be learned in Hashem's Torah, and great will your sons will be your son's peace. And Hashem is essentially saying, and Midrash says this, if you toil and Torah in this world, I myself will teach you in the future world. And this is the meaning of, and all your sons will be taught or be students of Hashem. But then I would like to compare that to Midrash Rabbi Echa 11.12, where it essentially mentions that we'll be, the Torah of this world is nothing compared to the Torah of Mashiach. And elsewhere in the Livachitra's Rebbe's writings about this, it mentions that in in the world, like in this in the time to come, essentially, we will be taught by Mashiach. So here it says we're going to ta- be taught by Shem himself, and we're going to be taught by Mashiach. Which one is it? Yes, exactly. So another Mashiach, divine Mashiach, Hashem is Mashiach, Mashiach being Hashem, or manifestation of Hashem, I should say. There's another parallel with that. And they have the same name, too, by the way. The Yod and Hay and the Vav and Hay is shared between Hashem and Mashiach. Wow. Because, you know, Mashiach is called by the name Hashem Zidkenu. You know, which I believe that's Midrash Rabbah Eka as well. Awesome. And yeah. one more thing real quick. Okay. Verse 13, if you look at the last three words, you see Ve'rav, Shalom, Banet, ban. Banayik, Banayik, Banayik. Wow, tongue twister. Verav Shalom Banayik. The initial letters is Vet or Vav Sheen Bet, which are the word, which are the letters for the word Shuv. So Sheen Vav Bet make the word Shuv. And so you see when it says, "And great shall be the Shalom of your children." So when we make shuva, great will be our shalom. Amen. Wow. And we know that the, the whole idea of Torah study brings us to this, brings us to teshuva, which brings us to shalom. As, as, as um, uh, Chazal say that, or I should say, Rabbi Eliezer, who taught the name of Rabbi Chaina, that Tamadeh Chachamim, all the Torah scholars, increase shalom in the world. Ooh. And they get that from this verse that they'll be taught by learned in Hashem's wisdom. And then it goes on talking about being sons of peace mm. and how, how, how do they bring peace? Oh. Well, it's, it's, it's brought, it's brought forth in Parsha Bechotai. Essentially when we're promised that if we, B'nai Israel, will study the Torah and fulfill it, the Almighty will give peace to the land. Wow. So you think about, you think about Mashiach coming back and fulfilling the rest of the prophecies and the, the peace of the land that's, that's going to be given based on that. 
And I believe there was a passage in Devarim that talked about Hashem returning us. Um, yes, it's Devarim chapter 31 through 6. Now it shall come to pass when you return to Hashem, Shuv, your God, and obey his voice, Torah, that Hashem, your God, will bring you back from captivity, have compassion on you, and gather you again from the nation where Hashem, your God, has scattered you. And Hashem, your God, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your children. And it keeps going. That's kind of a paraphrased elucidation of that. This whole shoe concept here is all right there. Yeah. So, I I guess it's like like thank you, thank you for that elucidation. Just like continue on this idea of, of Torah study. Um, it's called the Torah study. It, it mentions in fifty five one says, "Come, all who are thirsty, go to the water to quench your thirst. And even one who has no money, go get food for free and eat." Go get wine and milk without money and food and without a price. And so it's talking about this idea of this question what water, wine, or milk can be attained for free? <laughs> and then it's saying the Navis invites all the all the Jewish people, says, Come and listen to my teachings. I do not charge a fee. It's talking about these are the words of Torah. Mm. And so why are they compared to Torah? Why is it water, wine, and milk? And uh, one reason and says that just as uh, these drinks keep best in plain and expensive containers. So the words of Torah stay with one who is humble. And it goes and talking about specifically that the water is the revealed part of the Torah. And this is what every Jew needs in order to uh, survive spiritually. The wine refers to the secrets of the Torah, which must be imbibed, taken in with great care. It is not easily tolerated by all and could have some adverse effects or someone's not ready for it. And then we have the milk, which is compared to the Midrashim of the Torah, which is likened to milk and honey, which instills love and fear of Hashem in the minds of those who learn them. Man. Tag. All right. Tag accepted. Uh, Zohar Shemot uh, 8 and 9. So like the whole sections there. G Shekel brings us down. And since we're talking about the Torah, the call to Torah study just so happens in the midst of that whole big chunk. It says with the coming of Mashiach, it's talking about the coming of Mashiach. It says basically uh, that Hashem is going to crown King Messiah with the same crown that he took, that Hashem took when he uh, came out to deliver the children of Israel across the Yom Suf. And then it goes on to saying, HaKadosh Baruchu will take Mashiach and kiss him as before. All the holy multitude and the whole army will surround him and bestow upon him many wonderful gifts, and he will be adorned by them all. And so it talks about like there's this um, this war that's going to be waged, you know, like the, the nations are going to come against him that are in opposition to him and it says that basically that the people who are the Torah scholars that I mean the Torah studiers they're going to be called to surround Mashiach and so you have this idea of 
being engaged as a uh, a chariot, a makava, or a army brigade for the Messiah because we're entering into Torah study. And so not that we're in harm's way because we know that there's really not a battle here, but, you know, it can look good. So, you know, that's what's happening. But anyway, just being uh, Torah studiers, you know, we're brought into this element of surrounding Mashiach, you know, as an army. Wow. And I, I was, it was just really admiring, like, this this picture that you've given about, about us just adoring Mashiach with gifts and, like, being like this army that surrounds him and, and just gives him this praise and bestows upon him all these great gifts. And I was thinking, like, if there's one person in the world, in the entire scope of the universe of all time, who's married to that is Mashiach. And it is Yeshua. And I just think about his words about how the last should be first, and the first should be last. And, you know, I think about all all the great Sadakim uh, throughout our history. And, for instance, uh, you have Rabbi Rabbi Akiva, who was was essentially torn to shreds with iron combs by the Romans. And he proclaimed out, you know, essentially, uh, Shemecha, the Shem is one. But... Even even with that, even if the terrible suffering is, is that he went through, he is held in such high esteem by by us as Jewish community as as he should be. But he still had his his Talmudim there to to give him a cup of water to wash his hands with. Right. Um, he had there. He still had people to carry on his his name and to give him accolades and praises. And I'm thinking about Yeshua on the execution stake who we talked about mentioned before that, that out of anybody out of everybody he was alone in his suffering mm. Hashem is the only one who's truly alone in his suffering everyone else has someone to comfort them you think about like no one gives him true praise everyone is still speaking about him whether it be uh, the Jewish community who doesn't understand him because of the Christian persecution and so they speak evil things about them they, they mis misuse uh, Gemaras within the Talmud to say it's about him when it's really not. Um, and then you have the whole, the Christians who proclaim him by a different name other than him, right. and they speak Lashon Hara about him and that, that he was essentially saying he was rebellious towards Hashem, his father, right? Because he didn't keep the commandments and his death brought about the undoing of the commandments and all this, all this stuff. So both sides, even though he went through this great suffering for all of our sakes, the entire world, both sides are truly just speaking Lashana brought about him. He's not held in high esteem in any, really in any, any community. And so it's very fitting that he would be, uh, he's brought to the lowest point. He's brought to the very last point. So it's very fitting that he will become the first yeah. in fulfillment of the words, that he will be the one adored by the entire world in the time to come. You know, the interesting thing about what you just painted a picture of is when the father is rebellious and wayward against his son, his, when the son is wayward and rebellious, you know, Parashakitete, chapter 21, brings out that that's the one who gets put on a stake. And so, even in the crucifixion of Mashiach, though he was not wayward, though he was not rebellious, though he was not a drunkard, he was accused of all those things and died the death of one who would have done that. Wow. That's true. Everything is not as it seems. 
Very true. And on on this topic of of humility and things aren't as they seem, do you have a story time? Oh come on, story I'm time! Gonna be a story time half Torah. Boy, come on! Yeah. Also got one more story time for this one too. It's it's really good. All right. Hey, I ain't upset about these story times. Awesome. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Yeah. <laughs> Rabbi Yehoshua ben Hanaya often conversed with the Roman emperor, impressing the ruler with his wisdom. One day, the emperor's daughter, who considered the sage ugly, remarked about him, such wisdom, but what a ugly receptacle. Man, you really uh, emphasizing the ugly right there. That's how. That's probably how she said it. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm taking some artistic interpretation here, you know, in freedom. It, it, but it is story time. Watching. It is story time. Story time. Got to read it with some enthusiasm. <laughs> Rabbi Yehoshua asked her, "Tell me, princess, in what containers did your father store his wine? In earthenware vessels?" She replied, "A king." Should use earthenware vessels, the sage replied sarcastically. Why? Every commoner uses them. Surely the king can afford more expensive containers. Ooh. What kind of what, what kind would you recommend, she inquired. Well, I think that the royal palace wine ought to be stored in vessels of gold and silver, Rabbi Yehoshua replied. Ooh. The princess immediately gave orders to transfer all her father's wine into gold and silver kegs. A short while later, it was discovered that all the wine had turned sour. Ooh. When the emperor found out that his daughter had ordered the transfer, he questioned her about it. She pleaded innocence, insisting that Rabbi Yehoshua was a blame. Of course, we're going to bring Rabbi Yeshua. Yeah, on. Rabbi Yeshua, really? For he had so advised her. Furious, the emperor summoned Rabbi Yehoshua. Why did you give my daughter such bad advice, he demanded. Hmm. Rabbi Yehoshua replied, I merely wished to answer a question that she had posed. She wanted to know why God made me so ugly. But I showed her that just as wine keeps better in common earthenware vessels, so does the Torah prefer to be with humble people who do not feel they have the reason to consider themselves superior. Mm. But many Torah scholars are good-looking, objected the emperor. If they were less handsome, they would be even greater Torah scholars, replied the sage. It is more difficult for a handsome person to refrain from pride, and the Torah prefers the humble. Mm-mm. That's the end of that story time. But just, just like a, just like this lesson of you know, not everything's as it seems. Like you feel like it would be better, like this wine would be stored in better containers and all this stuff. But everything has its place, and everything has its purpose that Hashem very carefully designed. If you feel like you're not up to the whole standard of of beauty. Because the whole idea of like ugly in here, it's in quotation marks. Because eyes and the, the beauty of the beholder. Oh. Even if you feel like you're not up to par on on the whole uh, beauty or attractive scale or what have you, whoever makes that scale, anyways, yeah. um, be delighted and thank Hashem because uh, that that helps you come with a very very solid grounded view of yourself of and just helps you be a humble person. Just don't fall into depression, you know. Don't don't fall into any kind of um, bashing yourself in any way, but just allow it to be this healthy form of humility and this healthy form looking yourself as no better than any other person. And if anybody is calling you ugly, they're revealing heart issues. Yes, I'm just saying, like you don't go around saying that people are ugly. <laughs> That's true, and if they're if they're uh, a believer in a shim, uh, whatever religion that may may be. 
then you could always shame them. Like there's there's a, a story <laughs> that um, there's this great Torah scholar, and he's he's going around, he's walking around, he's very well known, very very righteous man. But here comes this person in front of him, and he doesn't match up on the attractive scale apparently, and he says, "What an ugly creature!" He just shouts this out at the guy, man. and this this guy without bad an eye, he's like. Well, you should take it up with the one who crafts my face, Ooh. the creator of the universe. You should take it up with the, the artist and not the art. Ooh. And eventually this guy just shame-faced, just begs, begs for forgiveness. And so if you find, like you, like you said, uh, it is a heart problem. Yeah. And, and really, it's a problem of uh, not abiding in the halakha to have Hashem before you always. Ooh. And remember that he is the creator of everything you see in this world. And so if you don't like the way something looks, the way something functions, and chances are you're not seeing things in the right perspective, in the light, right light. As we talked about earlier about Mashiach, what he said, you know, and what, what the Psalm says about Hashem is my light and my salvation. When you see things in the right light, you see things in a way that's going to redeem everything around you, including your own mentality and your own heart. Conviction, conviction. Conviction. Oh, sorry. It's <laughs> not tradition, tradition. It's conviction, conviction. Yep, that just happened. Man. Well, there's also this part that talks about how um, your soul will delight in rich, enjoyable foods, meaning delightful teachings of Torah. And then it talks about later on in the commentaries how Torah is the true bread and it sustains the soul. Now, I'm thinking about Mashiach. Man does not live on bread alone, but every word emanates from the mouth of God, according to Devarim. Yeah. Well, if I could uh, quick tag on that, um, just for the listeners, uh, I did a midnight tour study already for Parsha Kitetse called Take Captive. And pretty much, uh, I definitely took captive about two hours and 36 minutes. And, and uh, in that time frame, I went over, you know, what does it mean? Every or man shall not live by bread alone, but off every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the father. Because uh, bread is called bread, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the father is also called bread. And so went into that whole thing about what is the true nourishment and everything so you know i'm not gonna go over all that now but it's on there uh just just as a note so check it out shameless plug shameless plug <laughs> yep it just happened <laughs> i got another shameless plug for another story time <laughs> <laughs> we talked about this being the, the the double half tour and how these half tours always have this doubling effect, like anoki, anoki, and comfort, comfort. You know, so I'm just gonna follow that trend. Okay, story time. Story time. <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> All right. One uh, on one of his travels, the emperor Alexander the Great sat down near a spring to a meal of salty fish. He dipped the fish into the water in order to rinse off the excess salt. As soon as the fish touched the water, they became alive and emitted a sweet smell. Amazed, Alexander rinsed his hands in the water and washed his face. He felt wonderfully refreshed. Hmm. This, spring, this spring surely comes from Gadadin, he called out. Let me follow it to its source. Falling alongside the stream, 
He climbed higher and higher until he stood facing a pair of firmly locked gates. Open the door, he ordered. In reply, he heard, this gate leads to a shim. Only Sadakim may enter. Alexander called back, I'm the emperor, not just an ordinary person. Let me at least have a souvenir from this place. The gate opened, and he was handed a bone that forms the human eye socket. Alexander packed the strange souvenir among his belongings. Upon his arrival home, he summoned the Jewish sages to unravel this mystery for him. Why is... What is so special about this bone? Alexander asked him. Bring a scale, they advised, and we will show you. A scale was brought, and the bony frame was placed in one bowl. Now pile silver and gold in the other bowl of the balance, the sages instructed. To the emperor's utter surprise, the eye bone outweighed the precious metal. And no matter how much more gold and silver he added, the bowl containing the eye bone stayed down. What can this mean? The emperor questioned the sages. They replied, this is a teach that the human eye is insatiable. No matter how much gold and silver it is given, it always desires more. Is there anything that might tip the scale the other way? Alexander inquired. Certainly, replied the sages. Strew a little dust over the eye socket. When the emperor did so, the bull immediately sank down with a heavy thud. The lesson was clear. Death puts an end to man's ceaseless craving for riches. Wow. The name of that story should be called I Spy Get You Some. Yes. I Spy Don't Covet. <laughs> wow. We just we just mentioned this whole idea of the eye and the light of how we see things and uh, I think it doesn't just go go for for money, just you think about what money is and money is essentially uh, like in our day and age there was silver and gold, but money in our day and age is a slip of paper that we have all agreed upon that this is valuable. We have invented valuable in this slip of paper. You think about going back to the story about, you know, these uh, Sadakim and stuff calling other people ugly or the, the emperor's daughter calling the sage ugly. And really, what is that? What is their standard of beauty based upon is they have this standard of beauty that they invested in and say, okay, this is what it is. This is what's valuable. This is what's not. And it's the whole idea of your eye is going to be insatiable with trying to instill value in things that aren't really valuable from Hashem's perspective. And as Mashiach says, Mashiach says, you cannot love God and money, right? You, You cannot love God, love the things that Hashem has instilled value in, like, like, like all, all the mitzvahs and, you know, like the mitzvah of, of, of buying buying food for, for Shabbat, the mitzvah of uh, having a, a pair of tefillin, right, or or uh, prayer books, or or even just performing mitzvahs. Those are the stuff that Hashem has invested invested uh, a value in, and you can't you can't love the things that Hashem loves and love the things that you, the world, has invested value in. Mm. You have to choose, because eventually you're going to despise one or the other. There are two masters. Wow. You know, I appreciate that uh, that practical teaching of Musar, very profound insight, you know, because we can easily, as human beings in this finite world, even though it's full of the infinite, we can get so wrapped up in things that don't even matter. And we can treat these things that don't even matter that we're wrapped up in as if that's it. You know, like 
if we think something is ugly, it's ugly. If we think we're broke, we're broke. You know, we think everything yeah. is this way, it's this way. And it's just like, how how small in actuality are we? You know, and to to think that we could like just cast this overview of everything to where you know Hashem's point of view doesn't even matter. Yes, and it's it's the eye socket that you know just sitting there on the ground until dust gets put on the scale and then it's tipped. Yeah, it's just like don't wait until we die to to really grab a hold of what matters, and. Shameless plug on Kohelet from Melik Shlomo. He says it's better to be in a house of mourning than a house of frivolity. And this is the month of Elul. You know, we're we're in this house and we're we're seeing that we need to start paying attention to what really matters. Yes. And put put away uh, senseless desires. I was just thinking as as you're kind of elucidating, elucidating that point. Um, going back to Hashem referring us as a wife as youth, that makes Hashem like our husband, the other end of the relationship. Yeah. And so it's like when you don't accept his perspective, it's just like there's this disunity within the union that, that should take place there. Uh, another point of just to kind of elucidate the whole idea of death putting an end to man's ceaseless craving for riches. And I would, I would elucidate that to or generalize that to uh, meaningless desires and what we've instilled value in that's actually worthless. And so you think about everything that we've instilled value in is to uplift us, uplift our ego. And I believe this is one of the reasons, and I believe we discussed this before, why why Hashem had to manifest himself in the form of, of a man, the Mashiach, Yeshua, to put to death the image of ourselves, the image of ourselves which we esteem so highly to the point that we neglect his our, 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 our husbands, our fathers, like the person who's everything to us. We reject his perspective. So that has to be put to death so that our ceaseless and meaningless desires and, and of, of worthless things can, be, can end. And just like the dust over the eye. Just like the dust over the eye. You yeah. know, I was going to say that's the instrument of being able to do that Hashem used a tree because it was a tree that started all this and it's a tree that ended all this. Yes. That's that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Wow. Uh, we do have the last verse just to finish up um, this half Torah um, talking about in the 55.3, incline your ear all the Jews to go to me to learn Torah. Here and your soul will live for it will be revived at the Tachiyat Hamatim, rectification of the dead, uh, revival of the dead, and live forever. In the time of Mashiach, I, Hashem, will make an eternal covenant with you, promising that no longer you'll be exiled, just as I made enduring promises of kindnesses to David. I promise that his kingship will last forever. And then the very last verse in 4, oh, I'm sticking the second last verse. Behold, I've made King David a witness for the nations. When they see that my promise of eternal rulership for his dynasty will come true, they will believe all my words. I will fulfill my promise, and I will make Mashiach from David's seed a prince and commander over the nations. There's our banner to the nations thing again. Yep. And then verse 5, final verse. Mashiach, you will summon a nation that you don't know to serve you. 
and a people which did not know you will come running to do your bidding. Why? Not because of your military superiority, but for the sake of Hashem your God, who will dwell with you, and for the sake of the Holy One who has beautified you by letting the Shekhinah dwell in your midst. And so it goes on talking about, and this is commentary, this is the verses within the Midrash commentary included in the verse. And the commentary at the very end talks about how the half Torah, this half Torah ends by promising in the future, B'nai Israel will become spiritually elevated and the Shekhinah will reside among them. That will be so desirable that the nations of the world will voluntarily subordinate themselves to the Jews, thus all mankind will be united in Shem's service. Get you some. That's a Baruch Hashem. We actually, um, not that we need to be patting ourselves on the back, but we are. Uh, This is a pretty good, like we got through the whole Haftarah and it didn't take too long, so... Yeah. You know, hey, Yashir Koakaki. And you as well. You as well. All right. So, um, would you still like to enter into the takeaway, the practical takeaways? Yeah, I'd love to. All right, cool. So, let's wrap it up with some practical takeaways from double portion Haftara Kitete. Well, would you like to go first? All right. So, um, we have we have this idea, uh, kind of taking it back to verse <clears throat> verse thirteen. Now all your sons will be learned in Hashem's Torah. Um, there's <clears throat> there's this idea that the word bana bana ich, your sons can also be read as bana bo na ich, your builders. Yes. And it goes and talk about how these two are related and. Like saying, our children, our children are the future building blocks of all of Israel, and how we need to be responsible for developing them into true Torah, true Jews, whether they're physical children, whether they're spiritual children, or just anyone who we, we teach Torah to. And uh, the Chafas Chaim goes on to talk about how each Jew is a builder, since uh, each soul needs an apartment when it returns to heaven, and how these apartments will not be built from stone or brick but from all the Torah mitzvot that one gathers in his lifetime. As Chazal teach, whoever acquires Torah acquires a home in the Alam Haba. And just how much more so we should, we should just concentrate on, on building our, a proper home for ourselves in the Alam Haba. Like Mashiach says, store up your treasures in heaven. And the practical way we do that, the practical way we build our home in the future world, is to, by observe mitzvahs, encourage others to build to do mitzvahs as well. So that's one practical practical takeaway. Um, the other, I would say, is just be careful in which the the light in which you see certain things, because that the light in which you see certain things, which you interpret certain things, is going to determine the outcome. And it's going to determine how you pursue your endeavors, and it's eventually going to determine who you are as a person, as an individual, as as uh, as uh, like a, a husband or, or wife or a uh, as a as a student um, as a friend as a disciple of Hashem and and his Mashiach. Man, I mean, well, very beautiful, uh, very very heavy. Uh, that is some serious truth right there. 
So I'm main to that. Um, my takeaway that I would like to take away from this. Um, first of all, I love the whole thing about um, the children, you know, those who we build up in Torah. You know, um, that is something that I've been very, very like aware of, you know, and it's it's really cool, you know, to think about parenting, you know, uh, people who you taught Torah to, because I've had the privilege to do just a, a handful of bar mitzvahs, you know, and um, on a weekly basis with different people in the community of Lapid who are uh, allowing me the opportunity and the privilege to help them with Torah, you know, like I really do um, definitely get that. And I uh, I am grateful for the opportunity to be like a, a spiritual father, you know, and, um, and that's always been something I've been aware of throughout my faith with Hashem is the spiritual family that you're brought into, you know, with spiritual sisters, spiritual brothers, spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers, you know, and the the cool thing about that is the spiritual aspect is more weightier than the physical aspect when it comes to this, this bond that you create family-wise, you know, because so many times, you know, flesh and blood is like, you know, hey, this is your flesh and blood family, you know, this is, this is it, we hear, we tighten it, and it's just like, well, it's not until you really enter into the depths of Torah that you start to find out. Flesh and blood family is not to be dejected or seen as something less than. But at the same time, those who you spiritually bond with, like they're closer than a brother, you know. And so uh, just seeing that element in the double hopter here um, definitely is something that you know, is practical and a takeaway for me about, you know, our spiritual family, you know, don't, don't slight that, you know, and it, it, it's easily slighted because again, with the way we see things, sometimes it can be like, well, these are just people I go to shul with, this is my mishpaka, you know, but, you know, I have other family members too, and it's just like, but that doesn't mean slight your, your mishpaka here, you know, because, as Lapid, you know, as Yehudim, again, these people, we're going to be brought close. We're going to be dwelling in the Shekinah, you know, and uh, there's there's levels. You know, Mashiach says that if you are teaching people to follow Torah, you will be considered great in the kingdom. This is Matthew 5. And if you are if you're teaching people against Torah, you will be considered the least you know, and if you think about being co-heirs with Mashiach, you know, ruling and um, judging, you know, even angels, you know, if you're not uh, bonded with Torah, you know, that's going to be an interesting status for you, you know, kind of thing. So, you know, um, just the whole idea of just not slighting your spiritual family. And then... Um, I guess the other thing, because I'm just so enthralled with Torah, is uh, just Yeshayahu 55. I mean, absolutely incredible. There's a, a Midrash brought down in the Midrash Rabbah for, um, what is it? It's a Midrash Rabbah Yitro 
talking about how Moshe went and took the Torah, but it was given to him as a gift, but it was something that he should have paid for all at the same time, as well as the, the heavenly court argued with him, how dare you take this Torah and bring it to man? And so you see in this picture so many different facets. Uh, among many of them, it says Hashem changed the facial features of Moshe to the same facial features as Abraham. And then questioned the angels, how would you dare do this to Moshe, you know, when you wouldn't even do this to Abraham? And then it's like, oh, he looks like Abraham. Oh, we're we're sorry. You know, like this whole idea of, you know, the angels assisted Abraham. And how would they now go against him? Because there stands in the midst of them one that looks like Abraham who wants to bring kindness to the world. And so um, this is this idea of with Torah, you have to contend for it. But it's a gift and you have to... Um, you have to lay down your life, you know, and Hashem over overseeds or supersedes all of that by covering you with his glory. You know, he'll change your facial features. He'll change, you know, your 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 overall makeup, your overall being. You'll become a new creation. You know, that's where that comes from. So um, just being in a spiritual family being uh, one who is receptive of Torah and who embraces it. You know, so. And this is all what it means when we go out to war. Because there, there is a fight. And until Mashiach gets here, we need to stand firm. So, Alright, so that's that's all I got. <laughs> well, that was, that was definitely enough for a whole Joshua in itself, you know. Well, very, very well put. What do we know? What do we know? Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Zur kol haolamim Zadik bekol hadorot Ha'el hane eman Ha'omer ve'ose hamdaber Um kayem Shekol devrav emet vazedek De eman atahu Adonai Eloheinu Vene emanim ve or di de vereka ve davar echad mid vareka ocher lo yashuv rekam ki el melek ne eman verakaman ata baruk ata adonai hael hane eman bekol devarav bizkut mashiach yeshua amen Man, I love that after Haftarah Bracha, there's so much in there. It's just like a drosh. <laughs> yeah. And I just want to like eat this all up. We'll do it. We just need to do a section just over just like dissecting Bracha's possibly. Yeah, <laughs> that <right>. really, really <laughs> cool thing to do. Well, Hasis, I've appreciated and enjoyed this wonderful time. Blessings to you and your household. And may you have a Shavua Tov and a blessed Shabbat. Amen. May you, may you and your household be blessed as well, and uh, may you be inscribed for for you know a, a good year in this 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 time of teshuva and alul. May this uh, may it just be satisfying for you uh, in your spiritual walk. 
Amen. I appreciate that. And Gamla Kaw to you as well. May you be inscribed and sealed for a good year. And to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us and hope you have been uh, gleaning from Hashem. And may you be blessed and inscribed and sealed for a good year as well. And this is Shomer Man and Chassis for the Hofstra Get You Some and saying Shalom.